great stuff. Right, let's uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. Just going to look at the second part of our Everyone a Witness 2 series from these few verses. And in the first one, just to recap, maybe for those who weren't here or just those who are so tired they can't even remember who they are, never mind what we did on the first night. Um, we were looking at the, the sort of the, the, the fragrance part or the fragrance emphasis of those verses, looking at the, the, the thought of, you know, it's about the knowledge of him. Everything's about the knowledge of him. And uh, Paul's urging that uh, we spread the fragrance everywhere of the gospel, which is that we might know Jesus. And I guess the, the headlines uh, from that would be that I genuinely believe that the, it's not that we're replacing other things we've been doing for many years, but rather we're putting another, there's another thing God's restoring, perhaps, to the church in fuller measure, is these two punches. Remember, we talked about the, the left hook, the hashtag enough, you know, and then the right hook, the hashtag everyone a witness, within the resulting hashtag, exactly, you got that. So if you forget everything else from the conference, just remember those ingredients. Because I believe as we persevere in prevailing large-scale corporate prayer, and as we, as leaders, set the culture, uh, and, and it's important to understand you're going to have to be culture setters when you leave this place, because there's perhaps a few of you, a few of us from each church and you're going to go back into some perhaps large churches, small churches, lots of influence. And people are going to say, how was the conference? And, and you've got to, it's not just about telling. It's about setting some culture from here. So what we do from this, culture, from this conference is even more important than what we've done at it. And, you know, I just want, us, I, I want to be learning, saying, Lord, you've said, you know, we don't know how to pray, but you're asking us to pray. Uh, we can't witness unless we get the boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit, but you're asking us to witness. So, Lord, we are more dependent on you, and Scripture tells us we're more dependent on you than we ever have been, but these are the things you're asking us to do. So, I just want to really underline that. Uh, uh, have, have we got that? Two of us? Yeah, have we got that, right? <laughs> that, that this is the cultural trajectory and what's fascinating to me is that I, in spending a bit of time talking to Paul McConaughey, who's been with us, who's just loved being with us, really felt at home and family, and well, it's wonderful. And God's kind of connecting us in all sorts of ways. He, said, he travels around quite a lot, and he said, it's remarkable the same emphasis are coming about in all sorts of streams and networks and denominations. He said, I'm hearing, I'm hearing this all over. Um, that there's definitely something the Holy Spirit is doing across the body it's not just a few, oh, this is our niche thing. Now, this isn't a niche thing. This is, this is the, 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 the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church. And so we now have to outwork that in our own family. Uh, and you and I have to be culture setters in our personal prayer lives and in our personal everyone a witness. In words, works wonders. Say, Lord, help us to do that. So that was kind of the essence of the, of the first um, uh, session. Now, this session, I wanted to sort of kind of just talk to us as leaders, people of influence, whether in local church or in the workplace or, you know, God's, everyone here has got some influence in some way because um, it's a leadership conference or you're aspiring to it or you feel called to it in one way or the other. And the second emphasis I think comes through in these two, in these three verses is, is the word sufficiency. So let's just read them, see what I mean. Verse 14, 2 Corinthians 2. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Father, please help me in these few moments and as we come to the end of what's been such a helpful, wonderful time together. We do sense you've been with us, 
not just in the sessions, but just in around meal tables, in fellowship, in all, Lord, you've you just been in the camp, Lord, of us, and we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that in this last session, please, Holy Spirit, help me to communicate what I believe you spoke to me about this, so that we are really uh, equipped well as equipped personally for this next season ahead. I just pray, Holy Spirit, right now, uh, be upon us. Don't let anything steal or destroy the word, the seeds, the word as it comes now. Let it fall on good soil in the name of Jesus. I pray for good soil, that our hearts would be good soil right now, and you'd help my heart to be good soil even to, to deliver it. Lord, I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the point I want to primarily focus on in this session is this. That it's not just the gospel that needs stewarding well. Uh, we do. We need to steward our lives well. Because the message can be undermined if the messenger is taken out. We can have the best news in the world, but if there's no one to deliver it, it's even sadder than if there's no good news, actually. <laughs> if there's an answer, but no one's delivering it, or no one's able, or capable, or competent. So this is about stewarding ourselves, and I think we get that from what Paul is saying. He's talking about spreading everywhere. The gospel is this large vision, and then... He kind of reflects and he says, man, who's sufficient for this? I'm casting a vision beyond my own ability. What am I doing? Who's sufficient for what I'm asking you to do? And I think that, that healthy check within the life of every leader is really important. Say, so, well, you know, we're going to take the na let the nations be glad, but man, who's, who's sufficient? I'm not. Who's sufficient? There's, there's this kind of thing that's got to be lived out. And it's important we live it out. We're not just giving people facts. We're, in 3 John um, verses 13 and 14, he's, he's talking to them. And at the end, he says, look, I, I don't want to keep writing with pen and ink anymore, uh, but I want to talk to you face to face. Now, why does he say that? He's, he's saying that because, okay, you could give them information and, you know, praise God for email and praise God for, you know, videos and Skype and YouTube and all that stuff. But meeting people face-to-face -face in the flesh, being with people, you can't replace that. And why is that? It's because in 2 Corinthians um, 3, in verse 3, just a few verses on, Paul says, you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So we, we live the message that we vocalize, we articulate. Many of you, you know, perhaps preach, or many of you lead smaller groups, or disciple people, or in some way articulate a gospel truth, or Christian values in the workplace. Many of you articulate things. People are not so not just looking and not just listening to what you say, they're watching you. See, I, I can preach a sermon and it may be 30, 40 minutes. My life preaches all week. What I'm saying now is a very, very small part of my gospel proclamation. Because it's it's what people see. It's that they're Paul was very keen on that. He says, living, we're living letters. It's not, not pen and ink. It's not a load of not books. If you read this book, that's the truth. I mean, that, yes, it is, but we've got to live it. So therefore, we've got to steward it really well. And particularly in the Western world, when we look for cultural keys, now we might say, yeah, the Western world is cynical and skeptical. We need to pray for that stronghold to be broken down. Absolutely. But you also have to be like Paul when he was in Athens, look around and find what the culture is and then find the key to work in it. And the way you work in a cynical culture and a skeptical culture is you live an authentic lifestyle. Because if you're authentic and humble, then cynicism bounces off. If people are cynical towards you or they're skeptical of you, if you live long enough 
the message that you are articulating, it, you break, that's how you break the stronghold. We don't do it by just shouting in the air, Lord, break cynicism. You kind of, oh, yeah, have we done it? I'm not sure. Let's pray it louder. Lord, break cynicism. The way you break cynicism is, yes, praying it, but you're praying it that you might be the very answer to what you're praying. That you live such an authentic life that people say, well, actually, I didn't, re- I didn't used to, I thought he was a strange person, but actually, I've watched how he lives. I've watched how he is at home. I've watched how he is with people. I've watched how he deals with money. I've watched how he deals with criticism. I've watched how he deals with disappointment. I've watched how he deals with um, opposition. And no, actually... He does walk the walk. Now, that seems to be what Paul is after. He's saying, who's sufficient? Now, therefore, I think it's important we we look at how do we grasp hold of sufficiency. Because if you're already feeling disqualified, thinking, man, this is high bar, man. You know, I mean, well, good, because that's how Paul felt. That's why he said, who's sufficient? <laughs> so he's, he's genuinely thinking, man, this is, this is a big deal. And we also find that if we look at these verses, there's this paradox going on as well. In verse 14, he's saying, thanks be to God who in Christ, look at this, always leads us in triumphal procession. I mean, that is, you know, talk about positive thinking. Says, who always leads us in triumphal procession. This incredible uh, confidence and boldness and uh, security. Ah, always, always triumphal procession. Doesn't matter, don't have a bad day. Don't, it's no such thing as a bad day. Always. Bad day, good day, rain, shut. Always triumphal procession. And then two, two verses later, he's saying, Who's sufficient for these things? Well, you just told us you were. What's the matter with you? It just seems a bit sort of, don't you think it's a bit odd? Do you think it's a bit, I think it's a bit odd. So he's saying, he always leads us in triumphal possession. Oh, who's sufficient for this? I mean, that is what, he's only gone two verses and he's completely, what's he doing? I think he's demonstrating what every Christian and particularly what every leader has to live with all the time is the fact that there are absolute truths which we know beyond question and we also wrestle with paradoxical things that happen in life that are just so complex to understand and make us feel, I don't know how we can do this. So you can know in one breath Jesus is able to do anything and in the next breath, who's sufficient? And being able to navigate our way through that healthily Biblically, uh, maturely, in scriptural values, I think is the, is, the, is the thing that enables a Christian leader to f- not only start well, but finish well. Living with the dilemmas of paradox and, and wrestling with, with all kinds of things. So, you know, it says, weep with those that weep, rejoice with those that rejoice. Now, you know, if you've got, if you've got a little ch- church plant going, you're pioneering... Someone might have some bad news one week and, you, and everyone's weeping with them. Yeah, stand together. A couple of months later, someone has some great news. Everybody rejoices together. Fantastic. That's how it should be. As things start to grow, do you know what starts to happen? You get weeping and rejoicing going on at the same time. And you've got to live with that. You've got to live with triumphal procession and who's sufficient. You got, it's, it's, and it, it just... If we're not standing... You know, having done all, stand. If we're not standing firm, then yeah, the enemy will pu- he'll push us off. He'll push us over. We can either get too triumphalistic so that when something bad happens, we, we, we don't know which way is up. Well, it's always triumphant, Lord. It's always triumphant. What's this? I don't understand it. And then we try and find ways in Scripture to explain it, and it doesn't work, and it just makes it, it saps faith out of us. Or we can go so, oh no, it's always going to be bad. Who's sufficient? Woe is me. I'm never going to be able to, never going to amount to anything. It's always going to be doom, gloom, terrible. Lord, take me now. And if we, if we live like that, we never actually have any boldness. So living with this tension, is, it, it, that's what the, the enemy, he does go for our circumstances, but he will go primarily for our minds. Right? If he can get us afraid, 
fearful, uh, doubting, uh, not believing scripture. If he can get in there, that's what he's looking for. He's, he's looking for that. Don't, don't, be, don't be ignorant of his schemes, is what Paul says. You know, that's what the devil pl- primarily is looking to get into your mind and your heart. That's what he's looking for. And Paul's wrestling with this, this dilemma. He's, um, you know, he's learning to leave. We have to learn to live with people who are healed and people who are not healed. Triumph, tragedy, imprisonment, liberty, grasping the kingdom now and the kingdom not yet, being totally secure in the sovereignty of God and the nature and character of God so that whatever else we may not know, I know this, God is good all the time, all the time God is good. And not just say that as some sort of mantra, but genuinely to believe it, even in the midst of dilemmas. Now you've got to understand, Paul isn't just, you know, he's not speaking theoretically, he's lived this stuff. He was, he was when it, in Corinthians where he says, I don't want you to be uninformed what happened to us when we got into Asia. In this letter, you know, he starts off by talking about the fact that he was in God's place, doing the right thing. He's, God's, he's in Asia. God said, yeah, we, when we get, went to Asia, we were doing God's will. But I don't want you to be uninformed what happened when we got here. Man alive. It's, we, we despaired even of life. Beyond our ability to, to cope is, is what he said. It was, it was too much for us. Actual, um, we were utterly burdened beyond our strength. So his capacity to handle the pressure of his life at that time is beyond him. It's beyond him. And yet he's doing what God had asked him to do. He's wrestling with the triumphant procession who is sufficient. And that's why all through Paul's writings, you find him saying things like this. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Paul built within himself and within the churches he served, I believe, he believed a culture, he he created a culture of reliance on God. That's a good culture to have. Utter dependency on God. To him who is able to keep us from falling. So it just comes out again, and wherever you look, it's, it's, it's a, a culture of living with, that's where the triumphal procession comes. People could get taken out if they don't have a clarity of God in the midst of perplexing circumstances. God, what happens is bitterness. Well, Lord, you told us to plant this and it's gone a bit wrong. Or cynicism, oh, perhaps, a bit, perhaps there's nothing in this anyway. Or or resentment, oh Lord, I used to love you, but now it's all gone right. You know, that, that stuff takes people out the game. You can be really gifted, but if that gets in, you're, you're out the game. I mean, it's sobering stuff. And as we move forward, we, we I mean, I wish I didn't have to say this, but I, it's true. I wouldn't be. As we move forward, we will face perplexities, setbacks, difficulties, sadnesses, things that utterly are beyond our strength at times. We will. We think, oh, crikey, this isn't a good way to finish a conference. Well, I'm just telling you the truth. There are some of you in this room who set out on church plants a couple of years ago and that church plant's no longer happening. Do you know what? I applaud you as a hero. Really, yeah. Why? Because the kind of culture I want amongst us is we want to have a go for what we believe God's asked us to do. And if you succeed, we will all do a video of you, put your face up and applaud you for what you've done. If it goes wrong, we take collective responsibility. We stand with one another. It's our issue, not yours. Now, there are some times when, when you assess something, you think, well, actually, I think it went wrong because of this, 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 and this. And then, okay, you just learn. You have another go, and we, we go again. We go again. That's how you learn, isn't it? When you learn to ride a bike, bike falls over. You don't say, well, I'm never getting on that again. I'm not supposed to go around on two wheels like that. I'm just going to walk everywhere from now on. 
So if you, if you go try out anything in ministry and it goes wrong, I said, well, I'm never doing that again. You, that's not right, is it? He said, no, we get back on. Let's put some stabilizers on. <laughs> let's have someone holding the back of the saddle. Off we go. Let's try again. It can be just that there's, we didn't quite have all the ingredients. Sometimes for no good reason, for no, nothing anybody can explain, it just went wrong. And you live with this perplexity. Yeah, but I had, you know, I've got notepads of prophecies. And you kind of live with how, triumphal procession. Oh, who's sufficient? We've, we've got to learn how to be able to handle that. That takes men and women of real depth to last the distance. Do, do you hear me? It, you, we've got to be big enough in God to be able to say, do you know what? It's not that didn't hurt. No, you think, oh, I feel devastated, devastated. But I'm going again. I'm going again. I'm trusting God and God is good. And I don't understand all of that. But I do know God is able to turn all things together for good to those who love God. We just give yourself again, again. It's where this triumphal procession and who's sufficient. Just kind of, we live with this pendulum all the time. Just trying to navigate it. And, Yeah. What is the triumphal procession? Well, to quote Matthew Henry, he says this, His resurrection demonstrates that the Father accepts his death in full discharge for our ransom, that he is the victorious one over death, the grave, and all our spiritual enemies. And it is also an assurance of our own resurrection, there being an inseparable union between Christ and his flock. You know, you and I have got an inheritance in heaven that the Bible says no mind has conceived, no eye has seen, no ear has that We haven't even, no human being has even conceived vaguely the reality of what lies ahead. That is the triumph that we are in possession of. That, that, it's like when Paul says, people say, well, what will the resurrection body be like? Uh, and he uses the image of a seed and a flower. No, you know, if you look at a, a poppy in a field, beautiful Beautiful flower. If you look at the seed, the little tiny black seed, it's like us looking at the black seed of life on earth now, and we know there's something to come, and we look at it and think, oh, what's that going to look like? And we have, you know, all kinds of theological books about, you know, the resurrection body, and we're just looking at this little black seed, and, and we come up, well, perhaps it'll glow a little bit more. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will just change its color. Perhaps it will have wings. Perhaps it will, we just look at this thing, and Paul says, idiots. <laughs> uh, I mean, the Bible says, how foolish. I mean, it's very English. It's, it's actually saying, idiot. You, see, you can't look at that and know it's going to turn into that. Can you? you just, if you've never seen a poppy before and you looked at a seed, you'd no, no way in your mind would you ever conceive that that is going to become that. That is the smallest illustration of what lies ahead of us that our minds have not even... We are going to get into glory one day and think, whoa, this is beyond anything I or anybody else has ever conceived of. And Paul says we are always led in triumphal procession. Why? Because that's ahead. It's kept in heaven for us now. If, we, if this is our last day on earth... That is our first, next day tomorrow. I mean, it's, we can't lose. We cannot lose. It never gets better and it, it never gets worse. It's, you know, it, it's, it's complete. And Paul is aware of it. He's thinking, I know I think who is sufficient, but there's a triumphal procession. And somewhere we've got to live with this, this balance that helps us to Constantly keep the, the plumb line of, of, of what's ahead with the reality of sometimes what we, we, we wrestle with now. The kingdom does break in now, but it's now and not quite yet. Do you get that? I mean, we've got to, we've got to do this. Now, there are, if I can just then very briefly just look at three, three quick headings in terms of giving us sufficiency. When he asks the question, who is sufficient for these things? I, I think there are three components in the life of a leader that have to be in place for us to make it through well. So I'm just gonna give very quickly, just a few minutes on each one. And I think 
Paul answers his own question in, in some of his other writings. So that's where I'm going to look. And I think the first sufficiency comes from our calling. We are suf- who is sufficient? Well, we're sufficient because we're called. Let's just have a quick look at Galatians uh, chapter 1. And I want you just to notice, uh, Paul is writing to the Galatians and he says to them in chapter 1 verse um, verse 12 well, in verse 1 he says Paul an apostle not from men nor through man but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead he's saying I am not doing something that man has asked me to do I'm doing something that God has asked me to do. God has equipped me to do it. Man hasn't played a part in this whatsoever. I am an apostle. And he then goes on in verse 12 to say, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. When he goes to verse 15, he says, When he, that's Jesus, who'd set me apart before I was born and who called me. So he said, even before I was born, I was called. I was called. Didn't come to him, it came from God and it was in God's heart before I was even born. And then in verse 16, sounding even more, man, you think this guy's such a lone wolf, unaccountable. You know, he says in verse 16, um, uh, he... he, uh, uh, he says, was pleased to receive his son in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. So Paul is saying, I'm an apostle. God's made me an apostle. I didn't get taught by anybody about this. This is purely between me and God. And when I started my ministry, I didn't even ask anybody. I think, ah. Now, before we get on to the accountability, just, just leave that to one side, right? We'll just leave that to one side, because we, we will get there. Just don't worry. It's a bit like Terry's grace message about, you know, you know we're all forgiven, so it doesn't matter what you do, right? Just, just live with us. There's got to be something in the heart and life of every man and woman who's serving God that says, I don't really care what you say. I know what God's called me to do. If you haven't got that, you won't last because if you're doing it because someone thought it would be a good idea and think, yeah, I think you've got the right sort of profile for that. Here we go. Have a go. You know, that, that will not get you through the who is sufficient for this. Paul, was a, Paul said, I'm an apostle. Deal with it. Right? I'm an apostle. Deal with it. Well, that's not arrogance. That's because I know what God has called me to do. I, didn't, I wasn't taught it. I didn't go to some apostolic school. I didn't even consult any, with anybody as to how to do it. I'm just doing it because I know God has called me to do it. If I don't know that, I'm in trouble. And actually, so is everybody else. <laughs> because anything you and I are doing for God must come from God. That, that's not arrogance, that's humility. Say, like, I, 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 okay, I might be, we might apologize for it, like, if we're English, right? I'm ever so sorry, but I am an apostle. Right? <laughs> I, mean, I, do, I wish I wasn't, I know it's inconvenient, I, it's not socially acceptable, but I, I, you know, I, I can't help it deal with it. You know, however, whatever kind of language we put on it, sufficiency comes from calling. In the verses we read, as commissioned by God, in 2 Corinthians 14 to 7, he said, God has commissioned us. I, listen, people say, oh, you know, Mike's understated, yeah, all right, whatever. All right, I know I'm commissioned by God, right? I can't get more arrogant than that. That's the best it gets, right? I know God has asked me to do this. Now, the reason I'm using myself as exhibit A, which is slightly uncomfortable, but, you know, I'll move on in a minute, is... 
is you, each of you. Now, some of you might still be working out what your calling is, and that t- sometimes takes years. I mean, I, I, God spoke to me when I was 19 about what I am on, only just started to really do five years ago. So 30 years of figuring out exactly quite what the calling looked like. So this isn't like a, oh, quick, someone prophesy, ka-ching, oh, that's it, right, I'll do it. No, it's, this, there's a process, and the calling does kind of evolve and change, and it looks different. As, but each one of you, whether your calling is into influence in wider society, in education, or health, or politics, or uh, working with the poor, or whether it's local church, leadership, church planting, prophet, evangelist, what, all the breadth, all right, children's work, whatever, you've got to know what God has put in your heart, and you've got to steward that. Your sufficiency will come from your calling. So when everything's going wrong, I often say to the Lord, well, you said. You said. What are you going to do about it? I like to talk. I think the Lord likes me talking to him like that. Because it shows that I'm, I know that I'm just doing what he's asked me. If I don't know what to do, I'll say, well, you told me to do this. So what, what, what are you going to do about it? I don't know what to do. I'll do what you tell me to do. I don't, but... Lord, if you ever do anything because I or your leaders or anyone else says to you, do this, and you get doing it, and then it all goes wrong, you won't say to God, you said, you'll be saying to people, you said. That isn't going to help. They'll go, oh, uh, yeah, well, uh, perhaps, mm, mm, oh, yeah, perhaps we got that wrong. That's not much help. Yeah, perhaps that wasn't a good thing. Sufficiency comes from calling. When Paul, towards the end of his life, he said, I've run the race. I've not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. What's he talking about? He's talking about an encounter he had with God. Not a kind of a promotion, fast track, apostolic fast track. Just no such thing. So, sufficiency from calling. Second thing, just to make you all relax a bit more, is sufficiency comes from accountability. All right, yeah, breathe now, breathe. Blood pressure, come down. Okay. And uh, if we look at uh, Galatians chapter 2, I want you to notice Paul talks about his sufficiency of calling first, then he talks about sufficiency of accountability. So I'm just trying to do what Paul did. It's in chapter 2 of Galatians, he says, um, uh, where is it? Oh yes, in verse 2, he says, uh, I went up to Jerusalem because of a revelation and set before them though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So what he's saying is, and then in verse, sorry, carry on, in verse 7 he says, uh, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, he let them view his life. Verse 9, When they perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. Now, all of those verses are accountability verses. He said to them, Is my gospel okay? Is my doctrine okay? He he said, The gospel I received, I submitted it to them to see if, just to make sure I'm not teaching things that I shouldn't. Is that not what he said? Hello? Yes. He did say that, thank you Tom. He, said, he, he did say that. And then he's saying, is my lifestyle okay? No, is there grace on me? Can you see the grace of God on me in what I'm doing? Can you see the, the prophetic foundation in my life? Can you, can you see that what I'm doing, I should be doing? He's kind of... Here's the question for us. Are we receiving both affectionate support and protective critique? Both are needed in the life of a leader. That's what accountability is. It's affectionate support and protective critique. Do I welcome the input of other people? Because if we just live, no, I'm called, I'm called, la, 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 don't want to listen to anyone, we are in trouble. You've got to have this, we've got to have this accountability where we submit 
transparently everything we do to the lives of those we trust around us. I want people to, to be able to view my personal life, my marriage, my family, my finances, my temptations, the things I struggle with, my gospel, my doctrine, my way of dealing with people, the things I'm doing, the, the, the pressures I'm under, my blind spots that I can't see and the flaws in my character so that when people speak into them and they say to me, do you realize that this, this, this? And I think, oh no, I've not seen that before. Why do I think that? Is it because I'm being protective? No, it's because I've got blind spots. Here's the news. We've all got blind spots. And we will never mature into all God wants us to be without being accountable to loving um, fellow uh, members of the body of Christ who we trust to speak into our lives. Paul submitted himself, and part of his sufficiency came through accountability. Are we getting this? Right. I am so sad that the number of people I see being taken out of ministry because of sexual failure or their style of leadership becomes manipulative or controlling or abusive of those they lead or financial irregularities, they're just not living like... How many more good men and women is it going to take to be taken out like that before we wake up and think, who is sufficient for these things on their own? No one! If you are here today and you are struggling with any area in your life that could lead you into some sort of sin, please, please, please talk to someone. We are a family. We're a family. And no one's going to say, oh, fancy you thinking that. They're going to be saying, well, you know, we've all, we, there is no temptation overtaking you except which is common. You're not going to be tempted or struggle with something that is uncommon. The Bible says that. There is no uncommon temptation. You might think, oh, yeah, but well, I've, never, I, I, I've not ever heard of many people with this kind of thing I struggle with. Well, according to the Bible, it's common, isn't it? Isn't that what the Bible says? The reason you've not heard of it is that no one's being accountable. Then you suddenly find someone breaks cover and says, you know, I'm struggling with it. Oh, well, actually, now you mention it. Isn't that safety? I don't want to have to stand here ever and announce more or to prayer and equipping and, or send an email saying, well, so-and-so was leading this church or so-and-so was you know, doing that very influential work in, in uh, influencing the government or you know, pioneering this in the health world or doing this with finance. But you know, sadly, you know, you know, marriage has gone, you know, affairs. Or, you know, I, I don't want to do that. That's awful. We can do better than that, can't we? But it's not going to happen unless we are all accountable. You have permission to inspect my life in any way you want. I'm absolutely serious. Absolutely. And if you don't want to talk to me about it, talk to the team around me or talk to my wife. You can ask any question you want, anything you want. I want my life to be transparent. That doesn't mean you will find perfection it hopefully means you will find protection around my vulnerabilities, right? And that by that, it will help you to feel comfortable to also have protection around your vulnerabilities. If we are truly the family of God, we will not have many announcements of people losing it because of, all, of sin. I don't want to do that any. I don't want to do that anymore. I've seen such anointed ministries taken out. And now we all scratch our heads thinking, well, how come God uses people and they might be sinning while they're still being used? Well, the reason is the gift and the call of God are irrevocable. You know, we don't get anointed based on our performance. The call of God will function through you whether you're sinning or not. Isn't that scary? If you've got a gift of healing or a gift of prophecy, you can still exercise that and be having an affair as well. Wow. Because it's not a, you're not earning a gift. You've been given a gift. It's up to you and me to steward that gift so that we get to the end of our days and say, Lord, we've stewarded. Look what we did with the talents you gave us. We've, give, we've invested them wisely. And that's why it's such a shock 
when people do fall and we, we knew that they were being used powerfully. And we say, how did that happen? Well, the gift and the call of God are irrevocable. But what is also inevitable is that eventually the Holy Spirit will reveal it. That's why Ananias and Sapphira, you know, hashtag boom. You know. <laughs> you know. That's, that's not on their Twitter feed. That's, not, that's the last entry, you know. <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira at, you know, hashtag boom. Don't want to, we don't want to do that. Am I making sense? I mean, you know, it talk, we, we've got to, yeah, How, what, do, what do I mean by also by accountability? It's also about accountability in our gift. Apollos, I, I think I'd have liked to have met Apollos. He sounds like a bit of a character. And it says Aquila and Priscilla had to uh, explain the way more adequately to him. But it says he was preaching with such zeal. I mean, he was one of these people probably you really didn't want to disagree with. But he, even he needed a couple to sit down with him and say, well, uh, how can we put this? Uh, not what you're saying is that you know, 10 out of 10 for enthusiasm. It's good. Yeah. Um, presentation, excellent. Very good. Content, uh, a few more points to go on the content. Let's, let's just explain the way a bit, more adequ- a bit more adequately so people actually know what you're trying to say and they're not just seeing you foaming at the mouth. You know, with, uh, so to get the best out of his gift, he needed the loving help of spiritual parenting. You and I often miss being as fruitful as we could be because we feel defensive about anybody helping us just to be a little bit better, spotting our blind spots. I don't like... There's two kinds of people. You either like invitation or challenge, right? Meaning invitation being, yeah, come along with me. Let's see if we can learn some things together. Oh, I love that. Or the challenges. That was rubbish. Come on, you can do better than that. Now, I I don't understand challenge people, but apparently... How many people like challenge? You like someone to tell you straight? Tell you straight. Yes, I don't understand you at all. Uh, how many people are invitation people? Yeah, come along, let's see what we can... Yeah, it's about half and half. But the thing is, we actually need both. And what I've learnt, uh, well, I haven't learnt it, what I've had to come to realise is that uh, I don't have the luxury of not receiving criticism. Because if I want to be the most fruitful for God that I can be, I need critique. I need it. I don't like it, but I need it. I can't, the stakes are too high for me to think, oh, if someone criticizes me, I don't like it, I don't want to hear it. No, I, I can't afford that. I like the invitation thing. Yeah, let's just talk and learn together. But I also need people, I'm setting myself up here, aren't I? Uh, I also need people to lovingly criticize me when they think I could do it better. Do you, yeah? And whichever your preference is, you, also, you, you, you won't be fruitful. I mean, that's the basic basis of discipleship, isn't it? We don't grow unless we, you know, keep... It's a lifelong learning thing. And the last thing, there's other things I could say, but um, the last thing, sufficiency, is sufficiency comes from dependency. Um, now, in 2 Corinthians 12, we find this uh, extraordinary bit where Paul talks about his vision and his thorn. Um, And, you know, he says, he, he has these mystical experiences, which he says, you know, he's not allowed to talk about, which is interesting because there seem to be so many books coming out on how to have mystical experiences. Well, uh, Paul's book on mystical experiences, well, I've had them, but I can't tell you about them. The end. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so, you know, I'm not denying that mystical angelic visitations happen, and many of you might have had them. You don't know if I've had some, right? But I'm not telling you. Why? Because the Bible says I shouldn't. All right? It's none of your business. If you've been caught up to the third heaven, praise God. I don't want to know about it. Don't write a book about it. Experience it, great. But 
it's not for our benefit, it's for your benefit. And that's what Paul's saying. And he said, I had such incredible encounters, such mystical experiences. I'm in the body, out the body, I don't know where I was. Uh, but because of these revelations, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. And he said, I pleaded with God three times to take it away. Now that to me says Paul was expecting it should have gone. So if you pray about something three times, your normal expectation must have been, at the, well he prayed once, his, first, his expectation would be, well normally when I pray about these sorts of things, they go. But he says, well, didn't happen first time, try again. Oh, still there. Uh, third time. Oh. And then the Lord says, no, my grace is sufficient for you that my power may be seen through your weakness. So Paul then twigs and thinks, aha, right, there's actually power here, so I'm actually going to boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me even more. He learns the lesson. So sufficiency comes from dependency. You and I, if we're going to really turn the... We, we are... We are swimming against the tide in our nations, by and large. And if we are to really make headway, we will have to have ongoing, utter dependency on God. And what I've found is that often things come into your life that seem to directly hinder the very thing God has called you to do. Isn't that bizarre? Now, we don't know what Paul's thorn was, and the re there is a reason for that. Because he wants to talk about a principle rather than a, a detail. Thinking about what was the thorn is, is actually a diversion. What he wants to establish as a principle, that who is sufficient is answered partly through dependency. Now, you might have something that could make you very, very feel very incapable of being fruitful in ministry and you're praying about it and who knows God may break through one day and it be removed you may not get the three strikes and out that Paul did you just keep persevering but while you're persevering and there seems to be this um, question as to why why is all this happening you and I have to really get to the point where we say Lord in my weakness I will rest on your all-surpassing power and what you've called me to do I can still do, though not through my own strength, but through your strength, which is resting on me. I think sometimes the bigger the call, the bigger the dependency God will put on you. The bigger, you know, the, the sense of dependency. Because if there's any way that you and I can do what God has called us to do, then we don't need God, do we? So God will always engineer things in his providence, he will always engineer things so that what we do can only be achieved through his power resting on the weakness of our flesh. Yeah? That's how he set it up. So that all the glory goes to him. That's why Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. We don't, we don't like that do we we don't like that that's actually why Adam and Eve chose the fruit in the garden because the devil said if you have that you'll be like God now if you're like God you don't need God so you take the fruit oh, I don't need God anymore I'm like him I know good and evil I know everything God knows so I don't need to go to God anymore I've got, I've got independence I could do this if we live in ministry thinking well if I have that I don't need God if I'm sufficient in myself I don't need God that's the very essence of what caused the fall of man isn't it? So we have to reverse that and say, no, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. It's not a dependency that makes us then lacking in boldness. It's a dependency that says, Lord, in my own strength, I can't do this. But triumphal procession. Do you see we come back to the same triumphal procession? Who's sufficient? Triumphal procession. Who's sufficient? We live all the time in this I know what God's called me to do and what God's calling us to do. Listen, I believe God in some way wants us to have global impact as a family. Just think about that. We're not the only thing happening. We're quite, quite a small thing happening at the moment. But I believe God wants us to have to think big. Big. Bigger than that. You know, 
Whatever you're thinking, double it. Global impact. Now, the only way that can happen is when you and I say, well, that isn't going to happen through our strength. But we do believe you've said it. Now, the reason I believe that is I believe there is oodles. Say oodles. There is oodles of prophetic data that God has said again, 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 again. I'm calling you here, calling you there. This, this, this. Even Ginny's word to us. But there's these hidden compartments. You don't know they're there yet. Well, they're not hidden to God. He knows they're there. He just wants us to grow so he can say, whoop, there you go, another room. Have that nation. See how you get on there. What, another one? How are we going to do that? Not even doing this one very well. No, great. I've got some more when you finish that. That's, that's how it will be. That's how it will be. So I'm going to come into land there. Um, I just want us to have that kind of a culture. Triumphant procession. You know, we, we, we have won before. We, we have won through Christ. We've won. But also who is sufficient. Lord, we need you. So let's stand together. And the band could come back. We'll just have one quick song to finish and go on our way. I would just recommend Gordon MacDonald's book, A Resilient Life. If you want to sort of follow up a little bit more, just practical personal application, I think this is a magnificent book, really, really helpful about just these sorts of things of, you know, dealing with sufficiency issues. So I'm just going to pray for us. If in some way you feel that's spoken to you, just lift your hands to the Lord. We don't need to know how or what, but in some way that, if you feel the Holy Spirit has touched you in some way, then just lift your hands. I'm just going to pray for us. Lord, we do thank you so much for your presence with us throughout these days. Lord, we do believe you're with us, that you're for us. Thank you that you do lead us in triumphal procession. You really do. It's a triumph. We've won. The inheritance is in heaven. Fantastic, Lord. But while we serve you here on earth, we will find, Lord, who is sufficient for these things. I pray that we would live with that healthy balance so that we're able to hold both together very maturely, biblically, robustly, and I pray, Lord, that you do more through us than we ever thought possible because you can trust us. Lord, let us be found trustworthy in your sight. And I pray, Lord, that there will be people here who otherwise might have been taken out through sin kind of getting in and ruining things. Lord, deliver them from evil. Deliver them from evil. Lord, you say, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. I pray for people in this room right now who are in danger. Deliver them from evil right now. No more announcements of or people taken out. Lord, we want healthy family church life that protects, cares, challenges, disciples, looks after. Help us to look after one another. And send us with your blessing, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.